All right, so uh, good, good, is it afternoon yet? No, not quite. All right, good morning still. Um, I don't, Clayton stole a little bit of my thunder, but that's okay. It bears repeating some of the things that are coming up here in our church. So uh, Liberty and I, my youngest daughter, we were just in, um, in Denmark and England. I uh, was over speaking for Denmark Union Camp Meeting, and uh, I took her along with me, and uh, we had a great time. But both in Denmark and in England, uh, when I knew church was happening here, I was able to, to pop online um, and, and watch just little snippets of the services, which is really, really awesome. So our online ministry and our online presence has been very, very powerful here in our church. And part of our vision for our church is to enhance that, to make it better. And uh, Patty and her team do an amazing job. And next week we begin, or actually after this service probably, uh, and beginning of next week, we start uh, taking out the old equipment, analog, and we're going to high-def stuff. So you'll be able to see us a lot clearer when we're on TV. So now that may not be a good thing. I don't know, right? <laughs> So um, anyway, what, what, the reason we're telling you that is because that means we won't be broadcasting for the next two weeks. You won't be able to catch our services online, um, whether it be on Facebook or Roku or any of the other places where we broadcast. So just keep that in mind. The next two Sabbaths, you won't be able to catch it. So that means you got to come to church. All right, you got to come to church and uh, be live with us, all right? So that's what's happening. It's going to be awesome when it does come back online, though. All right, the other thing is this. Tomorrow, uh, Sunday, tomorrow afternoon at 6 p.m., we have a church business meeting. And we've been talking to you about our vision for how we can... Um, uh, enhance our facility a little bit better. So Patty's throwing up some pictures there. Uh, you'll be able to get more information about the project, in particular how it's going to affect what the church looks like and so forth and the reasoning behind all of that. And uh, you can see the new children's wing and hear a little bit more explanation from Pastor Barb about what that, how that's going to help her ministry. You can see the new lobby area and so forth. And we all know that the building is, is one part of the, of the ministry here. It's really what happens inside of those inside the buildings. And so that's, that's really what we're going to be talking about is the why, the reasoning behind it. Uh, hopefully, uh, so that you can get on board and capture, catch the vision and, and support that and be a part of that. So if you're a member, you want to know more about it, or if you're interested in being a member or just come here all the time, come check us out, Upper Youth Center, tomorrow at 6 p.m. We want you to be a part of, uh, of the vision that's going on here. Dear brothers and sisters, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves in the following. Tender-hearted mercy. Tender-hearted. Let's get started. As his holy people, the course is charted. Serve the sick, lead the lost, bring home the departed at any cost. Feed those who hunger, give water to the thirsty, show the world his love and tender-hearted mercy. Kindness. Search the world, find a mess, a grind of stress, a lack of rest, causing far less kindness than you'd expect. Far less smiles on far fewer faces, far less serving in not enough places, and kindness leaving minimal traces. Thankful. It's more than gratitude, it's accepting. Patience. It's more than waiting, it's expecting. 
Peace, it's more than silence, it's resting. Gentleness is a gentle bliss, a welcoming kiss, an unclenched fist. Oh, we're just beginning our list. Humility, the ability to reject rigidity and reveal humanity. Make allowance for each other's faults just as allowances were made for yours. Forgive one another because forgiveness opens doors. Above all, clothe yourselves with love. Let it act as the glue, binding nation to nation, binding brother to sister, binding me to you. Let us all bind together around the one who is true, the one who came to make us all new. And harmony. We are in need of some harmony, aren't we? Aren't you? One body, singular, the invited united, the saved in sync, the joyous joined, the redeemed reconciled, the changed chained together forever as one. Brothers and sisters, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, Clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Brothers and sisters, since God chose you, love that love that piece I love the just the vision that is cast there about our our call you know and our being chosen to be this type of church that he describes there uh, what a powerful thing uh, I want to invite you to do one last thing and that is just keep um, myself and Pastor Mark in your prayers and the, the teams that we're leading um, we, we both both of our trips leave on Tuesday and uh, he's got a group that he's taken to Nicaragua and uh, they'll be uh, on a mission trip he's got some young people and I've got a group that I'm taking to Africa to Kenya on Tuesday as well and uh, so just keep us in your prayers there's all kinds of crazy things that happen around our world and uh, if you would lift us up uh, both that we can do uh, a good work there. I don't want to be so terrified of what could possibly happen that we don't focus and do the work well, right? And to serve the people well. Um, but that you, would, that you would pray that we would be able to serve well. But then just pray that we'll be safe too, that we'll be all right, you know? Amen? Because it's a crazy world we're living in. Um, good to be back. I've been out and about the last couple of weeks, and uh, now it's good to be back for one Sabbath. Then I'm going to go ahead and take off again for a little bit, uh, but then we'll be back and uh, get to hang around a little bit more uh, this summer. But pray with me one more time, and we'll dive in this morning. Father God, thank you for this time that we have this morning. Thank you for the vision of, um, of your church that we could be called to be about something in this world that draws people and that we can represent that through the way that we love and care and uh, forgive and demonstrate grace towards one another. 
I pray, oh God, that your spirit would be at work, that you would move, and that your, um, that your voice would be heard as we share this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a good chance you've heard about a house that a father is building for his family. It's right here in Florida. It's in, uh, it's in Windermere, in fact. It's a, it's a house. I mean, but it, it's really a house. Um, when completed, it very well could be one of the most expensive and one of the largest houses, one of the largest homes in America. Um, it, will, it will have, once it's done, about 90,000 square feet. Uh, 13 bedrooms, 9 kitchens, 30 bathrooms. All right, I live with four women. I could use a couple more bathrooms. Two movie theaters, three pools, full-size skating rink, a health spa, bowling alley, 30-car garage, and two tennis courts. That's a house, man. And that all sounds really good unless you're the one having to clean it, right? But he has this vision of a house, you know. He has this vision of a, of a home. He has eight kids. He's married. He has eight kids. And I imagine he, he has this vision of having a place where everyone comes together. You know what it's like when we, we don't have a house like that, but we have our own space and our own house. And, and what's memorable about that place isn't the building, but it's, it's what happens on the inside, right? And we spend these, these times with family. They're memorable times. There's probably, uh, you know, family and friends that are in for the graduations that are happening this weekend uh, and that happened this week. And, and we all sort of gather. We eat together and we, we enjoy moments of, of fun and entertainment or whatever together. I imagine that's his vision um, for what, why he builds such a massive home is that there's something special that can happen in that place. I remember, I mean, you could probably think back now even to your, remember the house that you grew up in or maybe a house that you spent significant time in? I can remember the house was in Little Rock, Arkansas on 7th Street. I remember it, man. And even right now, mentally, I can go back to that house and, and think through the, the different rooms. I, I can see where my room was. I'm an only child, so it was just me and my, and my parents. And I, I remember Christmases and holidays and running out to the living room and seeing what, what Santa had brought me. I can still see that. I, can, I remember ugly green carpet. I, carpet was awful, man. Nasty. Um, I, I just, you know, because that place holds so many memories. And there's a place where we all got together. It's a place where we sat around the table and we ate and we played games. And I imagine that this father is thinking in his mind that this house, this massive, grandiose house will be a place where his family can gather, where they can enjoy each other's company, where memories will be made. Now, there's a bit of a tragic part of this story, um, and maybe you've heard about this house, the Versailles house, but the, the owner and the builder of the house's uh, daughter passed away recently. Tragic, awful. You would, you would never want anyone to go through the, the loss of a child, and that's what they've experienced. So, so in his grand vision of having all of his family gathered there, and his children, and his wife, and everybody, and hosting people perhaps, there's always going to be this little bit of, of a sense of grief because the, the vision can't quite fully be there because there's this one child that, that's lost and isn't there. And um, I imagine that as he finishes this place, he, he recognizes, he understands that, that there's, one, there's one of his kids that won't get to see the completion of this house. The full, the full reality of the vision will always be lacking just a little bit. 
As we turn towards uh, Isaiah chapter 60, that's where we're going to look today. If you have a Bible, if you want to use your smartphone, whatever, we're in Isaiah chapter 60. And what you get in the entire chapter is this, is this imagery, is this vision of a God who is building not a house but a kingdom. Now in 1 John chapter 14 verses 1, 2, and 3, um, the Bible says that, that, you know, uh, that, there's a, that God has this house, he has this mansions, and it has many, many rooms, right? So there is still this imagery of a house, but, but there's something bigger than a house that God is building, and that is a kingdom. Um, a new kingdom where he, where he wants all of his children to gather, where he wants all of his people um, to be. And um, he's, he's, in fact, he's, he's, he desires, he has this, this vision for all of his children to gather and to be in this one place. He, he envisions, like this father who's building this massive house, he envisions that his children will gather with him around the table, right? Right? And that all the people will come together and it will be a grand place. Not because of the place, but because of, of the person and the people that are gathered there. So what's going on, what's going on here in Isaiah is, is they are living between the, the time before this is a reality. In other words, they are living in the in-between time. It's, it's not, they're not quite to this kingdom reality. They're not quite to the house being completed and, they're, and them getting to move and gather uh, around with their, with their father in heaven. Um, uh, but they're, they're kind of back here in between. And, and what's, what's the struggle for them is that they've sort of gotten off track spiritually because man, it's in the in-between, it's in the waiting that sometimes you lose focus of the vision. You lose track. And so spiritually, they're a bit of a mess. In fact, um, the previous chapters, it talks about just how there's a darkness that has come over them and, and sort of the wheels have come off for them spiritually. Now, we should be able to relate to these guys. I mean, we are the, we're the Adventists, right? In our very name, we, we believe and we talk about the, the reality of a kingdom that is to come. There's the, the, there's a father in heaven who is building a big house and he can't wait for us to get there. But we also know that we are not there yet and we've been talking about it for years, man. But we got to live right now. How is it that we live between the, the you know, the, 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 the right now and the not yet? How do we deal with the reality of, of trying to sort of stay on track and stay focused? How do we, how do we, how do we allow, allow hope to continue to burn strong in our souls until, until the reality of Jesus' kingdom comes? That's, that's tough. And I'll tell you, I'll be real honest with you, sometimes I lose sight. If you're honest, sometimes, sometimes you lose sight, man. Whether it's just the darkness of the culture in which we live, or maybe it's just the, maybe it's just, maybe it's tragedy or circumstances that come upon us. And you just kind of shake your head and go, okay, God, okay, we've been here long enough. Could you please come? It, you know, it always irritates me. Some, some dear saint Adventist people who, who always want to point out the fulfillment of prophecy. And they always seem to do it in a negative way as if to say, man, I really wish that wouldn't happen. And I'm like, no, we want it to happen. Let prophecy be fulfilled so that Jesus can come. Amen. Right? I'm like, okay, bring it. They're like, oh, do you see the signs? Yes, I see the signs. Bring more signs, people. We're ready to be done. We're ready to move on. 
Because there are times here when I just don't want to keep on keeping on. There are times here when it gets dark. And the people in Isaiah's day, they're, going, they're struggling with where they're at right now. They're like, okay, that's nice, God. Great kingdom over there, but I'm back here right now. How do I get or how do I hang on until I get there? It's a struggle. And if we're all honest, there's a certain part of that that, that we are burdened with at times. Hang on. Hang on, because God gives us this great this great message and this great vision. He sort, of, he sort of recasts a vision for his people so it'll pull them out of this dark place that they're in. And again, part of this darkness has to do with their, their own thing, their own sin, their own, their own issues. And so we can relate to that too. Sometimes we get in a bad place spiritually because we kind of do it to ourselves. We st- move away from God. We make choices that are outside of God's will. We do things that, that don't enhance our spiritual lives, but in fact pulls away from our spiritual lives. So whatever, wherever the darkness comes from and we find ourselves in it, um, sometimes we're there because of the choices that we make. Sometimes we're there just because of the darkness and the sin in the world, the loss of a loved one, the, 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 you know, the, the failure or the loss of a job. I mean, all those things. But it's all things that we contend with as we live in the in-between, as we live in the promise of Jesus' soon return, but he hasn't quite come yet. And here's a message from Isaiah 60 that, that is meant to encourage us it's meant to encourage us and to move us out of, out of the dark. It's meant to call us to, to a purpose in this time. It's meant, in fact, it's going to be great. We'll get there in a second. All right, Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 2. Read along with me. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. What a great, I mean, for people living in darkness, for people who are stuck in a difficult place, man, what awesome, what an awesome message to hear. It says, rise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. It's as if to say that the sun is rising. You ever been in such a difficult place that you, that you imagine that, man, I just need a new day, right? You're like, it's ever been such a, a bad day? Okay, this week, rough day. Not, not as rough as what some people are living through, but a little peek into my first world problem, okay? So I'm driving along. And I hear, something, I hear something going on with the car and the, 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 the little vibration, a little, little shimmering in the steering wheel. I'm like, oh man, I know I should have gotten that tire changed and I didn't. And you know what happens, right? You always put it off and what happens? Sure enough, flat tire, wonderful, on 436 where evil people drive, right? <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Satan's demons are on, on 436. <laughs> And I four, but um, so sure enough, I'm like, oh no, oh no. So I have to pull over, and I'm I'm dressed fairly decently. I was not in the mood for being sweaty and and having to change a tire, and you have to pull out all the stuff, and 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 there you go. That was just wonderful. I'm thinking, thank you, God, for this. This is wonderful. 
Okay, that's minor. That's minor, man. That, that's, not, that's, that's, that's little stuff compared to the bigger things that are going on in a lot of people's lives. But the darkness can get so thick. And it's one of those days where you say, man, I hope there's just another. I just need to see another sunrise. And what the father is saying through Isaiah is that, hey, the sun is coming. The sun has come. You get a new day. You get a new day. Regardless of how dark it is, regardless of how bad things have gotten, regardless of how you even contributed to your own circumstances of being in the dark, there is a new day that is rising. And you can not just lie there, but you can get up. You can get up. That's what he says, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Though there is this thick darkness that covers the earth, the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. The cool thing about this passage is that God is not satisfied with just, with just the new day coming. He's not satisfied with just saying, hey, hey, I am your great deliverer. I will deliver you from this darkness and I will, I will make sure that you have some light, that, that you will experience the freedom and the joy and the love that I want you to experience. He doesn't just do that. He doesn't stop there. And a lot of times I think we forget that God not only delivers his people, but he delivers us for a purpose. Your deliverance isn't just about you being free and you getting to experience light and joy and happiness. Coming to Christ isn't just a matter of, uh, of enhancing your personal life. Coming to Christ and deciding that you are going to live for Christ means that you then get to contribute to enhancing the lives of others. So there's two pieces to this. He says, arise and shine, right? Arise, get up, I've made it possible, I've delivered you, so get up out of the, the funky darkness that you're in. But then he says, shine. Then he says, shine. I've done something magnificent for you and in you. Now let it shine forth for others to see because I'm doing something big in this world. I have a great vision for my kingdom. And the thing that I need from you, in light of the gospel, in light of the fact that I have, I have brought you back, in light of the fact that I've delivered you, in light of the fact that I've given you life that you've never experienced before, I need you to shine now because he's doing something big. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And it's the last part of that passage that's important. Everyone to come to repentance. He says, the house is big. The house has many rooms. I want to fill it with my children. So I'm, I, I am patient with those who, who are still stuck in dark places. Uh, I want everyone to come to me. I want everyone to know that the door is open. I want everyone to know that there's a room and that there's space for them, that the Father welcomes them in. Luke 14, verse 23, Jesus in the New Testament as he tells the parable of the, of the master who threw the great banquet and, and his friends 
refuse his invitations. And so he tells his servants, go and get other people. He says in 14 verse 23, then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. He wants his house to be full. And so he tells his people in Isaiah, he says, look, rise, but don't just get up and do nothing. Get up and shine forth because the glory of the Lord hovers over you. The, the, the light is shining out from you. There is something going on because I am with you. And there's something that's going on. It's really, it's really kind of powerful. Um, if you keep going in Isaiah chapter 60, if you go to verse 3, notice what happens in verse 3. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. That, in other words, they will take note of what's going on in and with you. Now, here's the, here's the interesting thing, I think, um, and this is where we struggle. In fact, I think the, the arising part, it says arise and shine. I think the arising part is a lot easier than the shining part. And, and what, what's, what tends to happen in our church is we tend to sort of hide and lurk in darkness. In fact, the New Testament talks about how men love the darkness. And Jesus sort of hinted that we prefer the darkness over the light. And so what tends to happen in churches is that we show up and, and every Sabbath is like this, this facade. And it's sort of like a, it's a happy Sabbath smile and everything is great and wonderful. Woo. And in reality, that's sort of hiding in the shadows that's not coming into the light and I think what I think what Isaiah is trying to hint at is when you when you when you when God is doing this work of deliverance when he's saving people and when he calls you into the light he's calling his people his church to a certain level of of transparency and authenticity in other words he's saying just be real the greatest light that you can shine, perhaps, isn't a light that tends to project you as someone who has it all together, church people. But it may be a light that shines into you that shows some of the brokenness and the ugliness and the scars and the, and the places where you don't have it together. In other words, he's, he's, he's saying, you know, arise and shine, step into this light. Let a little light shine in and through you so that others can see. Because perhaps the most attractive thing to the nations, the most attractive thing to the people who are on the outside looking at the church, isn't so much that church people have it together, but they're real enough to say that they really don't have it all together. But I serve a God who delivers. I serve a God I serve a God who, who, who had it all together for me. I serve a God who is able to, um, uh, who accepts me and receives me despite the fact that I don't always have it together. That's the light that we are meant to project and to shine forth. Not this notion of just sort of lurking in the dark and pretending. In fact, I think Jesus reserved his harshest, his harshest rebukes and his harshest criticisms for those who simply pretended their way in empty religion. 
Those were the ones in reality who were walking in the darkness. It was the ones who, who, who actually showed up and, and sort of opened themselves and stepped out into the light and, and who were uh, naked, if you will, before God, who, who really were the ones walking in the light and shining out to others. It wasn't the super hyper-religious people who, who appeared to have it all together. Now, that isn't to say that the God of the universe isn't doing a great work in all of us. That isn't to say that, that God doesn't transform and change lives. He absolutely does. But that is to say um, that the light that shines forth is just a testimony of what he's already done, man, and what he's continuing to do. That is to say that we as believers don't, uh, don't recognize that we, we don't recognize that we actually ever arrive. We just believe that we're always on the journey of becoming and that the light that shines forth from us is the light that God is continuing to put through us. That is in fact the challenge. The other thing that you notice about this chapter um, in Isaiah is that um, there's an emphasis on the people. If you, if you look at, if you re, go back and read just chapter 60 on your own, but there are a number of words that imply people, assembly, um, your, your sons and your daughters will come from afar, he says. And um, um, so all these emphasis on, on these people. What, what I find powerful is that um, so often it is that, that we forget about people. And the, the remedy for that is to actually see people instead of just looking at them, right? So the beauty of this thing when it comes to the light and the darkness uh, idea, the light comes in and it allows us to see ourselves and it allows us to see other people. Uh, arise and shine for your light has come. Jesus as the light has come, it allows us to see the ugliness and the sin in our own hearts and to turn from that and allow God to do a work within us. But the, the power of the gospel is that those who are being delivered and redeemed also are able to see people. So I'll, I'll illustrate what I'm trying to communicate with this. So when I was a pastor, senior pastor out in Utah, I had, um, I had a parent there who had a young adult, a college student, that they, this parent wanted me to meet them. And their kid was kind of out of the church and they wanted them, they were hoping that their kid would start to come back to church and maybe if they met the pastor and, and you know, trying to make a connection. And I'll tell you, it was one of the most, um, probably one of the most painful things that she would say to me later um, because it, it revealed something just about how we, how we engage people and how we see people. Um, and so the time came and I actually met her son one, one Sabbath, I think it was. And, and I shook his hand and said, hey, how you doing? Hope, you know, come back. Man, I'd love to see you in church sometime, whatever. We'd love to get you involved. All the typical things that a preacher would say, right? Because you want young people in your church. And, uh, but later on, she would approach me and she was rather disappointed in me. Um, and, and she said, you know, when you met my son, he remarked to me that he said that you, um, you saw him or you, you, you were there and you, you could see him, but you didn't really see him. You looked at him, but you didn't really see him. And, I, and, and it, was, it was interesting the, the way that she said that because I think that is true very often, especially in the context of church. We can look at people, but not really, really see them. We can have light, if you will, 
and not really, really see people. And the challenge for us as God invites us into his grand purpose of bringing all the people into his big, big house that has many, many rooms isn't simply to look at people and to look at how, how broken and sinful and messed up people are, but to actually see people. To allow that light that shines on us to be the very same light that shines on them and allow us to see. And seeing people takes time. It's funny how often churches struggle with that one, right? right? We think that as we just walk by each other every Sabbath, we say happy Sabbath, we say hi, or we say, how was your week, and how'd your team do in the playoffs? We think that that's just, that, that that's seeing people. The reality is... The reality is so often it is people come and they're never seen. They remain anonymous. And so, the, the, again, the, the, the challenge for us as, as, as Isaiah sets forth is, is that in order for the house to be full, in order for us to fulfill this grand vision that the Father has, is that we have to come into the light so that we can be seen and so God can deliver us. But we also, we also have to see, use the light to see those around us to take the time to come to not just look, but to see them and to come to know them. And it may even be some of the most unlikely people that we actually begin to see. And what a great example for, for everyone. You know, it's, it's one thing for us to think about how we, how we reach those outside of our group, but what if we began to see the people sitting in the pews that sit in the pew next to us every week? We actually began to see them and to know them. What a great testimony to those who will look upon us and who, who would potentially might walk through our doors and say, yeah, wow. They actually see people there. And it may be some of the most unlikeliest of people. So I'm doing some mentoring and some coaching with a, with a young guy who, um, when he describes himself, he says that he was radically saved about six years ago. And um, he has quite the story. And um, he's been sharing with me the last couple of times that we've talked. We have these sessions uh, every week. Um, he's actually a missionary now. Six years ago, he wasn't a missionary, but he's a missionary now. And he's a missionary in Thailand. So we sync up our schedules and, and we, do, we use a video platform, video conferencing platform. We talk once a week. And I was in his 20s, young guy. But six years ago, he was, he was in Austria uh, in fact, he, he's Austrian, and his, his voice sounds like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Every time you talk, I'm like, hey, could you just say, I'll be back for me now? Say. So, <laughs> so some of you got that. Some of you didn't. That's all right. So, so um, but, but his story is really powerful. And he says, um, six years ago, I got radically saved, and I was in a violent gang in Austria, and I was a skinhead. There's a skinhead in a violent game, and I got in trouble with the cops and everything. I just think it's kind of funny that, that the former skinhead now has a, a, a discipler and a, and a coach that's black. That's just great, isn't it? <laughs> so God has this way of, of shining the light into dark places and transforming hearts so radically that you can have a guy who used to live so differently now being mentored and discipled by someone that he would have never imagined six years ago that he would. 
And so God's house is a big house and it has room for even the most unlikeliest of people. And the question becomes for the church, will we be a people who are so transparent and so real, so, so Christ-like that we are actually approachable, that people, when they are drawn to the light, they'll actually stay in the light and not be repelled or repulsed by what they see. The question and the challenge for the church is indeed to arise. But I think the greater challenge may be if indeed we'll allow our lives to shine and if we'll allow the light of God's glory to shine into our own lives so that we can be seen as the people who God has transformed, not the people who are perfect and who have it together, but the people who have lived with God and who have been transformed by God. We, were, we used to be the unlikely people, but now we are the people that God calls to shine forth. I'll end with this. Um, growing up, I, uh, every Sunday morning, it seemed my father and I would go and, and wash the car. That was just kind of our thing. And uh, he had this big old Monte Carlo. It was actually a pretty nice car, I think, for that day. But it was a big old thing, and I kind of hated it because to wash it took a long time, right? He always gave me the terrible job, like, you know, washing the stuff, the wheels and all the dirt and grime in there. And uh, not only would we wash this thing, but we'd also wax it. And we use that old, that old turtle, turtle wax stuff where you have to put it on. And it takes forever. This is a massive car. It's like a boat, you know. We have to put it on. And then, then the worst part is you kind of let the wax sit on there. And what do you have to do? You got to go back through and, and rub that junk off, right? Took forever. I hated it, dude. And I think about that, I think about that car and I think about uh, the fact that, um, you know, if we didn't go through the hard work of, of taking that, that wax off, we'd never get the shine that we were really after. And the challenge, the great challenge of the church today is to make sure that we don't, that we don't just leave the wax on. Because you got, you got a funny looking car if you just were to drive around with a, you got a pasty white film on your car. And sometimes when the church chooses not to shine, we just kind of come across as undone, unfinished. We come across as this uh, uh, not, not quite where God wants us to be. But I think God is trying to prepare a people. So I think he's, I think he's, I think he's trying to, to, to put a shine on us. I think he's trying to remove that, that, that film that exists so often and just allow his people to be seen, to be transparent, to be a testimony to the work that he has done in each one of our lives. And he says, just rise up, man, shine. Don't be ashamed of what I've done in and through you. Because it very well be, may be the light that draws others who don't know me. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time that we've had this morning. Thank you that you have a big house. You got room for us and you got room for others and you want it full. May we, may we fully accept the call to rise and to shine to let others see the magnificent work you've done in our lives and the powerful work you want to do in theirs. In Jesus' name, amen.